Restorative practices in schools, is it working? Welcome to episode number 14, everyone. I am Ryan Ferran, so glad you can join us. We really appreciate that. For more blogs and the like, you can check out my website, ryanprferran.blogspot.com. For the podcast, we are in iTunes, Podbean, and exciting news, we are now available on Spotify. So you have a few ways to check out previous podcasts. We talk a lot about public relations, digital communications, uh, especially in schools. I'm the chief communications officer for the Arcadia Unified School District. So talk a lot about crisis communications, media relations, and issues that schools deal with, but obviously they can easily transfer to any organization, small business, large business, etc. when dealing with these type of issues. So you can find more blogs at ryanprferran.blogspot.com. So restorative practices. I had a fascinating conversation with Karen Yunker, who is an expert and trains all of our staff and teachers in the Arcadia Unified School District, did this for our digital education blog series for AUSD, and just thought I would turn it into a podcast because it was a fascinating conversation, one that I really enjoyed, and I think a lot of people will as well. Lasted about a half an hour, so I'll bring you that right now. We talked about really everything with restorative practices, and I wanted to give a deep dive and an inside look for those who were kind of curious about it, heard about it, but really didn't know what it was. So we get into some serious specifics. I remember, and I talk about this in the interview, when I first heard of restorative practices several years ago, a lot of criticism, a lot of national headlines about now we're just letting kids off the hook, no kids are held accountable anymore, and you know, how is this going to help? And there was a lot of the, all these negatives were brought up as far as accountability with the students. And I can tell you that is not the case. Kids still get disciplined. They still get in trouble. They still get suspended. But what restorative practices does do is it builds, builds community relationships. And some of the results and success stories you will hear in this interview and that I've seen are absolutely amazing. You'll be very impressed. I saw one video of a restorative circle from our high school where kids were in tears at the end of this 20-minute, maybe half an hour circle with this exercise they were doing. And the bonds that they form among students with each other and the teacher and student are just so powerful. So for something like this, I think it's really transformative and can really help a school culture, climate, Research has shown it improves academic achievement, reduces misbehavior, uh, handles different aspects and with school safety and climate and kids belonging and all that emotional well-being that's so important. So it's been amazing. Over 70% of our teachers have already been trained. They are asking, begging for a training. They hear what the other teachers are doing, what they're experiencing, and they want it. Um, my superintendent uses it in our district meetings, PTA meetings, some of the circles. So um, it's a really fascinating tool and practice that has caught on. And I think it has really helped our schools. And with that building culture relationships that we know are also important and with the training and you know, kind of simplifying this process and making it so you can learn how to do it, what questions to ask, and how to set it up. 
I think it can really be a great benefit to schools and educators all over the country. Restorative practices, do a Google search. It, it is really taking off the past few years. There's TED Talks on it. You'll see articles in big-time newspapers, ton of blogs. I'm podcasting about it. Um, and everything I have heard, firsthand experience from our teachers, they love it. They use it every day now, a lot of them. Um, you can incorporate your curriculum into it. So I thought this was a great conversation that I had with Karen Yunker. I wanted to bring it to you podcast format so you can listen in the car, on the go, or at your leisure as well. So if you have any thoughts about it afterwards, love to hear if you're using restorative practices in your classroom, how they are going for you, different techniques you are using, because um, it seems like some teachers will adapt a little bit to themselves. So it's really been great, and I uh, wanted to bring you this conversation with Karen Yunker. I'll catch you on the tail end of it and wrap it up for you and let you know how you can get in touch with me and share your thoughts as well. And welcome back to the Digital Education Station, everyone. We are talking restorative practices today with Karen Yunker, who is an expert in restorative practices. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. So we are in our third year of implementing restorative practices throughout our district. Before we kind of jump into what it is, just give us a little bit of information about your background and then kind of how you got into restorative practices. Okay. Um, I started off, I was a high school math teacher. I taught math and philosophy in South Sacramento for about 10 years and uh, didn't know anything about restorative practices at the time. And then I went off and had a different career and then came back to education and I taught middle school math and leadership mm -hmm. for about eight years. And um, it was then that I was introduced to restorative practices and I used them in my classroom. And I was also hired to uh, use the practices school-wide. I was the school culture That's and climate right. coordinator person. Mm -hmm. And so I got to practice them school-wide also. And we produced amazing results at the mm -hmm. middle school where I worked and got a bunch of attention. And uh, people want to know how we were doing it. And next thing you know, I'm off in the world teaching teachers and school administrators how to deliver the practices. So you must have been impressed right away because you went from a teacher getting this practice and training to leading it for your district. So what was your kind of first impression and experience with this? Um, I would say my favorite and most impactful first experience was in the classroom with my own students running community building mm -hmm. circles and really experiencing the difference that it made in classroom management, how much easier it was to mm -hmm. manage a class when they had a basic sense of respect for each other and some accountability for each other and things like that. So. Um, I would say that was my, f and also too, just because they were uh, more easily able to work together yeah. because we used community building circles, it was easier for them to learn and to, uh, to collaborate on mm -hmm. projects and all kinds of things. So for me, uh, honestly, my first impression was that it made my life a lot easier. <laughs> as, a, as a teacher. <laughs> yes, as a teacher, yes. And so uh, we do these digital education station videos for a lot of reasons, but one is to get information to our parents who they can learn more about what their students are experiencing in our classrooms, in our schools, and throughout the district. And then for other staff who may have heard about programs, but not all of our staff are doing everything in our community and uh, others out there. Um, so it's interesting for parents to realize kind of what their kid is going through now with the restorative practices and discipline and how they're using this to engage. So I guess just give us, in a general sense, what is restorative practices? Uh, 
Well, Ryan, uh, <laughs> restorative practices are a framework for building community. So they're proactive, building community, building social capital practices mm -hmm. so that when things go wrong and students break the rules or they be mean to each other or whatever it is, then we leverage the social capital we built to restore the relationship. Instead of just kicking kids out or just uh, rote punishment for kids, instead we teach them how to resolve their conflicts and how to be accountable for what they did and also give people who are harmed, students and teachers both who are harmed, an opportunity to talk about the harm that they incurred, mm. which impacts the harmer's behavior in the classroom and helps them get themselves sorted out. I remember when I was first introduced and heard about restorative practices years ago, more districts were implementing it. There was a lot of criticism about we're letting kids off the hook, there's no accountability anymore, nobody's gonna you know, have to face consequences, but that narrative has stopped because that's not what we're seeing and it's not true. So how does it work with students still being held accountable and what's kind of the discipline process of restorative practices? Well, the first preventative measure for, for disciplinary issues is the community building circle. So I just want to be sure I say that. That's mm -hmm. our tier one, 100% practice. And then once students um, harm their school community or harm their teacher or harm themselves in some way, we have them uh, generally interact with a grown-up using what's called the restorative questions where instead of um, so much investigating what happened and focusing on the past and trying to figure out who we're going to blame, mm -hmm. we talk instead about what the student was thinking at the time, what they've thought about since, and mostly help them get in touch with who's been impacted by what they did so that they're able to speak about it and understand the impact. And then they, as you can see, um, they help uh, figure out what we're going to do to make things right. And so it's a, it's a relational discipline mm -hmm. it, uh, rather than an exclusionary discipline. And so we put students back in touch with the people that they harmed, back in touch with the teacher who perhaps put them out of the class, and they have a conversation where they come to some agreements about how they're going to move forward. And our experience is when we give students a chance to make things right and give teachers a chance to make things right, that, um, that they most often do and will. So let's go over some of the questions that are asked. You have this great card here. So I guess the first question you ask a student or someone involved is what happened? Mm -hmm. And then the next one is what were you thinking at the time? What have you thought about since? Who has been affected by what you have done? In what way? And why do you think you need to do, what do you think you need to do to make things right? Yeah. So take us through the process and the reasoning behind these specific questions. Great. Well, one thing you want to notice, Ryan, is we don't ask the question that we almost always gets asked when a student makes a mistake. And that question that we don't ask on the card is, why did you do that? Because, you know, when you ask a room full of teachers, what is the answer to, why did you do that? The answer is generally like, I, I don't know, <laughs> or just some sort of a mumble, or right. because they did it. So we don't ask why, because why is a, basically it's a request for justification. And mm. as we know from experience, why is bankrupt? So right. it never leads to satisfying answers. So we don't bother to ask it here. But what you want to notice about the questions is um, um, traditional discipline just focuses on the past. It's all mm. about what happened, what did you do? This, these, these questions move from the past, what happened, what were you thinking at the time, to the present, who's been impacted, who's affected by what you did, to the future. What are we going to do to make things right? So they really point towards solutions. But also, they're great uh, for teachers and school administrators because it's a script. 
and it keeps people on target mm -hmm. when we're asking questions of a student who's done harm. So it actually saves a lot of time because I don't have to figure out what I'm going to ask next or what I'm going to path I'm going to take to get to the solution. Mm -hmm. It just leads me down the path, which leaves me free to listen. And in the space of listening, um, it's amazing what students will have insights about and how much they know about what it's going to take to make things right. Because Karen, on the surface, you look at these as kind of basic questions, but when you kind of think about what it's going to pull out of the student and the kind of this one specifically, who has been affected, by what you have done, it makes them think about who did I impact, what, how are they feeling, and that empathy part of the piece, right? Exactly, and um, our students don't know how their behavior impacts other people. They just, they don't know, and it's not because they're that kind of kid or because they're from those kind of families or anything mm -hmm. like that. Developmentally, K through 12, our students actually don't really know how people are impacted. Mm. And in the inside the bell curve, when we tell them or when they know how their behavior impacts others, it helps them alter their behavior and, uh, and try to do things right. Human beings are interested in people being interested in us. <laughs> and students True. know that when they can't make things right, interest breaks, and then, and then like that. So give us an example. I know one of the big practices is circles. Mm -hmm. We now have staff meetings, PTA meetings in circles. So great. It's yeah, it's, it's everywhere. It's kind of taken our district by storm and it's it's really effective and one of the great things I like about it is the computers away, the phones away and everyone's paying attention. Mm -hmm. Cuz as you know, you're in some meetings whether it's a school district, a corporation, what have you, people have their computers out, their phones out, and it's like, why are we even here if you're all doing something else? Yeah. So the f one thing I loved about it right away is just everyone's paying attention, they're in the moment, they're in the meeting. So circles, how do they kind of work? And they go from, I've seen them in very young classes, ele elementary school, again, to our staff. So what is the purpose of a circle and kind of walk us through that? Well, the purpose of a circle is to build community with whichever group we have. The purpose of the circle is to give quiet voices a chance to be heard, and the more monopolizing, louder voices a chance to self-regulate, if you will. Mm -hmm. They're very structured. Uh, they require norms and guidelines and a talking piece that indicates who's talking and everybody else is listening like that. And um, Often we'll scaffold participants, students in particular, we'll give them the questions in advance, they can draw or write before they come to the circle so that they really get a chance to, to um, self-express. And um, our experience with kids and grown-ups alike is that when we sit, basically it's sitting face-to-face, -face, that's kind of the difference. Mm -hmm. When we sit face-to-face -face like that and share about our work or about our lives and the things that are important to us, that it does, it grows empathy in the room, which grows a capacity to collaborate and agree and disagree in healthy ways. So what are some of the norms that allow that to happen? Mm -hmm. So the loud mouth in the room's not always talking mm -hmm. or the quiet person, they have a chance to have their, their voice heard. Mm -hmm. um, well, I just, I want to, I'll answer that question, but I want to say it's always best to whatever the group is you're working with mm -hmm. to generate the public agreements together. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you the basic ones that I use when I don't have time to do that, when I'm a guest or like mm -hmm. that, and the ones I suggest for people to get started. So the first one, is, the first norm is to respect the talking piece. So a talking piece is kind of looking for something that might be a talking piece. A talking piece is a ball or something that you hold and that when I'm talking, I hold it and you Gotcha. At least look like you're listening, Ryan. <laughs> and then when it's your turn, you would hold it and we pass it around. So 
norm number one is respect the talking piece, which means when I have it, I'll talk, and when I don't have it, I'll be looking we like I'm We usually throw listening. around a little ball or something like that. Yeah, just like that. So respect the talking piece. Uh, the second norm that I like is, um, is to speak your truth. So I'm not going to talk about anybody else who's not in the room. I'm only going to talk mm. about me. I'm not going to say what I w think other people want to hear. I'm going to speak my own truth. And then the third and last one that I like that I think I got when I went to an elementary school here in Arcadia was no yum yucking. <laughs> so you don't get to say yuck if I say I like something. So if I say I like pineapple in my pizza, there's no eye rolling or ooh, gross <laughs> or any of that. So those are my three standards. Speak your truth respect the talking piece, and no yum yucking. And it's amazing, I've, our, our staff, our teachers are tweeting about restorative circles. I had a few of them tell me that their students are asking, are we doing a circle today? Yes. They're looking forward to it, anticipating it. Mm -hmm. And so I think what you talked about, uh, not just the discipline issue, but it's like building community, bonding the classroom, and students getting to know each other so much more really does wonders. It really does wonders, and there's research that actually shows that where students feel safe and like they belong, it's easier to learn. And um, and that's that's really what we're here for, is to create an environment where people can learn as easily as possible, where they can contribute uh, what their, their, their gifts and talents are, and the restorative practices really support that. We saw one video, and I wish we could release it, but it was kind of a private moment in one of our, our classes at the high school where the kids, the, the um, practice was, few of you are having a bad day, the rest of the class will pick one student, you, your face is to the, away from the blackboard or the whiteboard. Students went up and wrote nice things about this other student that was oh, struggling. Fantastic. And like the tears and the emotion and the bonding that took place was just the most powerful thing you could witness and it was like, Wow, that happened in a 20-minute mm -hmm. practice in the circle that I didn't think that was capable in the classroom. Yeah, it's really great. And it's clear probably some community was built before that, but that's, mm -hmm. the, that's the trajectory of it. And then you can imagine, Ryan, that if there were problems in that classroom, how you could leverage that connection, leverage that relationship, leverage the really the preciousness of that moment to help people come together and make solutions and agreements and resolve conflicts together. I've seen teachers burst out crying when they saw how many great solutions, how willing their mm -hmm. students actually were to to help them resolve conflicts and solve problems. And you know, it's also, I, I also want to say one thing that's great about the restorative practices is that quiet voices get to be heard. Mm -hmm. So when there are class clowns or a small group of disruptors in the class, for them to hear from the ones who actually don't find it funny, yeah. the ones who, I've heard second graders say, you're stealing my education time. Wow. And they'll, you know, and then for a child to hear that, it makes a difference to them in the, for the most part, and they'll, and they'll alter their behavior. So I really want parents to hear, and I want teachers who haven't tried this to hear yet, that this is really about safety, it's about belonging, and it's about academic achievement, and the restorative practices do a great job. Really, they're the plate that holds all of that. So that's a good question. Um, before we get to the fishbowl is parents, a lot of parents will be watching this so they know what their students are experiencing and they, they want to be in touch. How can parents support restorative practices? Can they implement anything at home? What can parents mm -hmm. do? Um, well, parents could get it as right currently parents, um, I'm just thinking about the answer to that question. Uh, Molly Lahani has been hired by the district to be the parent 
restorative practices, liaison mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. So my understanding is she's been going to PTA meetings, that oh, she's great. been holding other parent meetings, and that there are plans also for in the fall to make sure that parents get at least the basic education about what it is we're trying to provide here, the basic theoretical yeah. foundational principles. And from that, parents will easily see what they could be doing at home. I, the practices are very simple. They're very clear mm -hmm. and, um, and efficient, so I think that's a great plan to have the parents be on board with trainings next Another year. Another great reason to join our PTAs, that, that is, is for sure. That is right. And so I hear a lot about the fishbowl too. I don't know anything the about fish the fishbowl. What is the fishbowl? Well, the fishbowl is a really great problem-solving strategy that works best after a community has been built, mm -hmm. where someone who has a problem they'd like to solve or something they'd like feedback on gets to sit in basically in the middle of the circle with a couple of support people around them and the group after they after the teacher or the person who's getting the input tells about whatever issue they has tells about how they feel about it then the group it's a very um, rigorous way for the group to give that person a great list of input or solutions or feedback about whatever mm -hmm. issue they had and then that the participant chooses two or three of those things that they'll try in real life to make a difference in whatever the issue was. I've seen teachers sit in the fishbowl and have students give them oh, wow. help. One was about um, students weren't coming for test redos and she just couldn't figure that mm -hmm. out and so they gave her great suggestions about how to handle that. Redos went up. I've heard teachers talk about crazy transitions from recess and third graders come up with solutions and make classroom agreements and things like that. I've seen staff members receive input from other staff members and school administrators receive input from their staff and it's really a great problem solving, super safe problem solving strategy. Um, I've done it and I didn't even realize yeah, it because it I, I've done it twice now because Dr. Hacking has led a few of our staff meetings and smaller meetings that's and we've right. done it. I just didn't know it was called the fishbowl yes. and it was very effective because yeah. it is. You're getting this input. There's a nice process to it. So you streamline kind of this idea generation period. You listen, you get them, and uh, it's worked great for people. And because the group gave the suggestions, when the leader chooses their suggestions, the group goes along with them because they were the ones who produced right. the result, the list to begin with. Exactly. And Dr. Hacking is really a great proponent of the practices and demonstrates them all the time. He's going to speak at the International Institute for Restorative Practices. He's there right now. Conference. He was just tweeting about it. He's really taken to it. Yes. Um, so I actually just saw a tweet from him an hour or two ago about it. He's implementing talking about it. Our staff seems like they've really taken to it. It and has been fantastic. How, because a lot of staff get professional development and trainings and have to get pulled out of the class and some, mm. they drag a little bit and not everyone is gung-ho about it. But this has seems like people are asking for it. They yes. want, when can we get it? Who's, and I think uh, Lori McQuaid was telling me about 70% of our teachers now in our third year have already been trained, a lot of our classified right. staff. Mm -hmm. You are all over the country training districts. What do you see in Arcadia and why do you think it's taken so well here? I think it's partly taken so well here because the superintendent gifted it to the, to the district in a certain sense. So in most districts where I am, it's schools are trying to push it, like, oh, it's doing great in my classroom, mm -hmm. let's use it in the school. Or school's like, oh, it's great here, let's use it in the district. Mm -hmm. But here, the superintendent, we have, we have all our trainings here, superintendent pr provides substitutes. Um, there was no mandating of the practices, that yeah. it was completely word of mouth and people practicing them and telling their colleagues and then colleagues getting excited about it. And we just had our second office 
front office staff and nurse and yard duty training and awesome. all because people want to do it on their own and I think that makes a big difference. The places where I go where people are told we're gonna do it, mm -hmm. oh, it just doesn't go that well. People don't flock towards it like they have here. But I also think there's something about superintendent saying this is how we're going to do it and mm -hmm. actually being in the training himself that made a difference and then I also think because the way leadership is here at Arcadia principals are principals are leading it on their at their sites in a way that's making a difference most yeah. most districts they they think I'm going to come in and save the day mm -hmm. here it was clear Arcadia was going to save its own day and you're right, the superintendent, Dr. Bernalso, has been trained. He does it in our staff meetings. We just did it in a PTA meeting with parents so he can explain to them what it's like. We all went through the process. Dr. Hacking, all the principals do it with their staffs. Mm -hmm. So it is, it really just penetrates through. And we haven't really had, we've had trainings that are really successful. One thing of recently, Leader and Me, where people see it in other classrooms down the hall and they go, I want that. Yes. This is another one of those where exactly. teachers see it, they hear from their colleagues mm -hmm. about, how did that happen? They start to explain the process. They say, when can I get trained? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so take us through a process for a student getting disciplined, kind of the difference between the old school, student go see principal, you did something wrong, to now the more restorative practices approach and kind of the difference in what that looks like from a student-parent perspective. All right, I would say the first place it starts is with classroom teachers using the these questions themselves with the student so and really um, I encourage sweating the small stuff that mm. if we sweat the small stuff then stuff doesn't grow to be big stuff so the first step would be suppose you're in my classroom I'm a seventh grade teacher and mm -hmm. you're doing that thing and, and <laughs> I'm talking with you about it that would be the first thing, would be that um, you and I would have a conversation about it. And mm -hmm. I would ask you, you know, what's going on for you? And I would try to figure out, I would tell you how it felt for me to mm -hmm. have this happen and like that. And I would really try to work it out with you on our own. Just want to say that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. um, because the restorative practices are relational. So, but if you ended up, or, or a student ended up having to go to the principal, then they would likely be met with a reflection form that has these questions on it, mm -hmm. an opportunity to think about the questions before they come to the principal or whoever it is they're gonna meet with. The idea then is to take these questions and to consider how the teacher or the class, and on the other side of the card are questions for people who are harmed or people who are challenged by the behavior. Mm. So to consider how those people, like who's been affected, who's been impacted, and then to walk back over or have some appointed time where the teacher and the student come together and discuss the answers to these questions both of whom will answer what needs to happen to make things right. So if I'm the offending student, I'll give suggestions what I'm gonna do, mm -hmm. and if you're the offended teacher, let's say, you would give suggestions about what I ought to do. And then we would work together to come to agreements that I would actually complete. And discipline, so people understand, still discipline. takes place. This, well, it's interesting, yes. So it, it, I wish that we had called it restorative discipline. Because mm. the thing is, it is a discipline. It's an alternative to exclusionary discipline. Exclusionary discipline has all kinds of negative health outcomes. Mm -hmm. Restorative discipline, basically what we do in restorative discipline is we try to repair the relationships that we've built. Right? We try to restore the integrity of our relationships. And then the third R is reintegration. So if a student has to be put out, we're gonna on purpose have a conversation to reintegrate the student back into the classroom, which is patently missing in traditional discipline. I would send a kid out and then 
bring them back in, then we would all just wait to see what happened instead of just actually working it out or talking it out. So this is really about taking the community that we build, the relationships that I build with my students, and, and leveraging that to come to some mutual understanding, to come to some agreements moving forward, mm -hmm. and to grow empathy, like you said earlier. So from a national picture with public education, we know one of the emphasis is, especially in California and other states, let's lower the suspension rates, let's keep kids in school. Are you seeing restorative practices helping with that movement? Mm -hmm. Yes. There's lots of research that, that shows that restorative practices are decreasing suspensions. And not just suspensions, but ordinary, during the day, disciplinary actions, too. And at the same time, increasing academic achievement. At Davidson Middle School, when I first started, we had 880 students and 375 suspensions in one year. Wow. That's not good. And then after four years using the restorative practices, we had 1,100 students, so our population size had gone up, wow. and we had fewer than 45 suspensions. And that was great, and we were really proud of that. But it's not, e it's not hard to reduce suspensions, yeah. Ryan. You can just build right. another in-school suspension right. room or just right. keep them on campus. But at the same time as our suspension rates went down, our API scores went up. Wow. We had the steepest increase in our entire county on our, in our fourth year. And what was the best part was we had the steepest increases for our most vulnerable subgroups. So our free and reduced lunch, English language learners, special ed like that, we had our mm. greatest increases. So it's about suspension diversion, it's about preventing classroom discipline, but it's about academic achievement and, and the sense of safety on campus too. So you just gave us one great success story. Any others um, that stand out to you having done this for so long and seen the so many. powerful <laughs> impact this yes. has and the connections and the relationship building between students, parents, teachers that you have for us? Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell two stories. Okay. So one's a classroom story. So mm -hmm. I had a student who was he was just he was that guy. He was just in constant need of attention, mm -hmm. up out of his seat, didn't really treat anybody with respect, mm -hmm. and it was just like oh, so hard to put him in a group. And for me, trying to be restorative, you know, yeah. it was rough. It was he was <laughs> it was a challenge for me. And we did community building circles in the classroom. And one day, I asked the students who was their hero and why. And people gave various answers, various answers. And um, when, it was, when it was Walter's turn, he told us that um, his hero was his grandmother. Because when his parents didn't want him anymore, she took him in. Wow. And everybody was like, oh, wow. And then he told us that she had died right before school had started. Mm. And in an instant, the, our dynamic with Walter changed. It was suddenly Walter was there. Oh my gosh, yeah. there's Walter. And Walter felt, felt us, and um, it changed everything in the classroom. I mean, it, he still was him, mm -hmm. but he really calmed down a lot. People were more willing to work with him. He was more willing to be worked with, and it really made a humongous difference for him. He kept getting in trouble in his other classes, so we put him in front of a student panel to mm -hmm. help divert his suspension. And when the students asked him, why do you only get good behavior reports in Ms. Younger's class, mm -hmm. he told everyone, his other teachers, his crying parents, everybody, he said, because it's the only place where I feel like I belong. And, that, and people were like, oh, so they all started circling up yeah. in Walter's classes yeah, after that. <laughs> I could, I could, imagine, could you just hear that? And you, I don't yeah. even know Walter from a hole in the wall, but it's like you feel for him immediately. Right away, yes. It was, and I remember the moment, it actually felt like it got a little bit brighter in the room. Right. It was really. It was, it was fantastic. He taught me a lot. And yeah, so it gives lot. you an understanding of the students yeah. as to, okay, I, he's dealing with a lot right now, yeah. and so that explains it. Let's, yeah. let's be a little nicer to Walter, and mm -hmm. then he reciprocates. Yeah. And 
That's amazing. And another thing is because we handled him restoratively as he kept getting in trouble on campus, he, he got himself sorted out and he ended up graduating with his class, which we never thought was going to happen. He ended up doing what it took to keep his grades up and keep going, graduate with his class. And he graduated with a great reputation as being a boy who was really great with girls, respected girls, stood up for girls, treated girls great. Smart, smart young man to be known as that. Awesome. But he really ended up, and he would tell you that he was glad he got in trouble because it helped him like, permanently get out of trouble rather than just keep getting in trouble over and over and over because nobody helped him make it right. I find it fascinating too about Walter's case. You said that in your classroom he was great, a changed person, and the dynamic was much different. But when he went to the other cultures, the other classrooms, it didn't carry over and translate. Yeah, because he didn't have a sense of belonging there. They hadn't been building social capital or building relationships. They had just been doing whatever the curriculum was. And I want to be clear, teachers, you don't have to stop doing your curriculum to do the circles because de delivering curriculum in a circle builds community too. Mm. So I don't have to be talking about heroes or all that right. stuff. I could be talking about you know, my subject matter, how, it, how they relate to mm. my subject matter, things like that. And that de develops community too because like we were talking about before, it kind of puts us face to face. Community building circles and equity sticks. Very cool. Off we go. One other <laughs> success story for us? Well, I'd like to tell a success story about grown-ups. Let's so do it. So I work in a middle school where the, the culture and climate for the staff was such that people were leaving the school in droves. And it was it's a good school to be at. Mm -hmm. I mean, it looks good to other people. I'm right. sure they get a lot of applications. But people were leaving because the, the climate between the adults was so mm. really just poisonous. And um, so I had office hours. The principal and I decided I was going to have office hours. And any grown-ups who wanted to come and talk about whatever problem they were having with a colleague, they could mm -hmm. come. They didn't have to promise to solve it. They mm -hmm. didn't have to do anything. It was just an opportunity to talk about it and maybe learn some new language, new ways to think about mm -hmm. it. And uh, we had two main protagonists. And um, they had been arguing and fighting with each other for over five years. It wasn't Yikes. a new thing. It was a long time and they had their teams, mm -hmm. the whole world. I know mm -hmm. you know what I'm talking about. And um, unbeknownst to one, the other one signed up to have a restorative conversation with me, unbeknownst to the other one. Wow. And they each said to me, oh, the other one will never sign up for this. <laughs> and I already knew, oh my gosh, they already did. Yeah. And I suggested to both, new way of thinking about it, maybe we could have a conversation and they both agreed. And we came together, we had a very structured conflict de-escalation conversation for about an hour and then I left them alone and they talked for three more hours and they completely resolved their thing wow. in a way that had a bunch of the other staff sign up for appointments. <laughs> but people could not believe that we resolved that long-standing grievance and like they had been pretty rotten to each other, I do want to yeah. say. <laughs> and we solved it in, in wow. the space of about an hour and a half because they were courageous enough to come and have a conversation that just might make a difference. That's amazing. It was great. This has been one of our longer digital education oh. stations, but it's just been a fascinating conversation. I think it's so important and so many of our students are impacted by it, so many of our teachers are doing it, and our staff, so it's mm -hmm. been absolutely wonderful. What is the website where we can find more information about you and restorative practices? Terrific. Uh, my website is restorativebestpractices.com. Karen Yunker, thank Karen you Yunker. so much for it's your my time. Pleasure, Ryan. Appreciate it. Thanks for all you're doing for our for our kids and our staff. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. That is the Arcadia Unified Digital Education Station. We'll see you next time. <laughs>